big topic these days in the entertainment world is, of course, what you can and can't joke about. As politics and social issues rise to the forefront of our collective consciousness, so too does the idea of certain things being inappropriate or context mattering. And my guest on the podcast today, John Lee, created a show a while ago called Wonder Chosen. If you've never heard of it and you've never seen it, it's one of the finest examples of pushing boundaries in an intelligent, meaningful, satirical, hilarious way. And things have changed. And today, John and I talked about his new project, False Positive, how he's continuing to push buttons and boundaries, how being political is, in his mind, an absolute necessity of being a creator, and how he has maintained that through line in his career. John is so insightful and articulate about the right way to approach these things. So you can, yes, continue to joke about all the things that you want to or should if you do it in an intelligent, meaningful way. Context is everything. Hopefully that's enough context for today's episode. Very excited to have John Lee. This one was a lot of fun. I want to start off, like I want to go back a little bit because we're talking sure. about New York and LA. You mentioned the Pee Wee movie. And obviously we're going to talk, we're going to talk about the new movie, False Positive, but I want to go back to Wonder Chosen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because that's, that's where it all starts. I mean, it's such like I'm a huge fan. And I think and everybody I know in the comedy world here, uh, just like it it broke so much for those listening who don't know and haven't looked it up or seen it like you're gonna see it and if you're a little younger you're gonna see it and be like oh that was where the the, that started because yeah (laughs) because it really did and it really did change things from the comedy standpoint tell me about that tell me about getting started in that and what you were doing beforehand and and like how that kind of changed your course a little bit well, uh, I went to, I grew up in a tiny town in California called Casterville, California. Um, ah, which, yeah, I'm what, yeah, I grew up with, like, I say, uh, half migrant workers and half hillbillies. And, you know, there were like maybe a handful of oddballs and weirdos and just like <laughs> pe- people interested in culture. You know, like everywhere you go in America, there's always like a couple goths, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, like, I think w- at the high school I went to had two. You know, not that I was one of them, but uh, so there I was just to show that there was a little bit of world and you know there, and so right. there was just this one time, this one class that was taught a media class, and you you started off with print, and then you went to radio, and then you went to movies, and I took that class, just happened to take it. I was really into you know movies and television i i feel like i grew up at the time when it was all catered to children you know the sesame street generation into star yeah. wars into mtv like we were the maybe the first generation that it was really catered to as far as media is concerned baby boomers had pop culture you know they became the first teenagers but that was a lot of a different idea than just actually having access to entertainment for specifically designed for you 24 hours a day. And so like, I just grew up understanding movies. It always just made sense, you know, and I loved watching the making of things and that always made sense, but I never thought it was a career. And then I just kind of took this class 
and the teacher. What did you think was, I'm curious. I mean, you're already like, you're speaking my language and talking about stuff I would talk about forever. Like I, right. it's such a good observation. I, I'm the same age range and I agree. It's like the difference between the teenager invention and the child, the mass media marketed to children. And I've seen yeah. how the stuff from our childhood is so easily marketed and just hands off so nicely to like my kids' generation because yeah. it was just so built for kids, you know, and how that changes your perspective. But I'm curious, what did you think was a career at that moment instead, like in your world? In I, Castle, I was, what, uh, what did you think realistically was your future? I had no idea. My parents were really good in that they gave me the confidence to try whatever. You know, like I think it's something yeah. that I try to instill in any kid I meet or my own children which is like, try it, you know, like, and if you don't like it, that's wisdom, right? That's what growing yeah. is. It's better to try and go, Ooh, I don't like that. Sh- I don't like that versus like, <laughs> uh, I'm never going to try it. And so I just tried a lot of things and I was just a very curious person like that. I was really good at math. So I just assumed I would be a business person. You know, I just assumed like, I, I and I, I always used to imagine myself like living in New York's and just like in, and I was like in some business guy and, you know, and like, <laughs> but I always just loved entertainment. My friends and I would design video games for ourselves. I would then like, as I got older and into high school, I started just think about movies and how to make them and then got a video camera and started just making things. And my first movie that I made was at, in that school, in that class. And it was yeah. just, it was the, sh- it was shots of n- like an empty room, an empty hallway an empty street, another empty room, and then a table and something on the table moved just slightly. And then the credit, the title came up said, saying the invisible man. And to me, <laughs> and like, I, I had no idea that it was like, like I, I wasn't intending it to be like a real conceptual joke. It was just like, I just thought like in my mind, I see the invisible man walking. Now he's walking down the hallway. Like it was the most Ozu, <laughs> Ozu-like uh, invisible man movie ever made and my teacher just was like you're a weird you know you're a weirdo you you're I, you know like you're kind of it's kind of a mess everything you're making but you have all these strange ideas go to san francisco state you should go to film school school there and i've since contacted her and thanked her um but yeah that's I, so I, cool i went to the right school my parents were like i'd gone to san francisco a lot they were really my dad's very funny they're both they're both into culture and art and all that. Not, I mean, not fine art, but they're into cult, pop culture and music. So and they wanted like you to go there and pursue. They weren't like, don't <laughs> they, go to the film. I did it myself. Like I, I applied to one school. Uh, <laughs> I, they like, you know, this is a this is a time when parents, you know, supported you, but they didn't like they weren't on top of you. And so I just right. applied myself. I, I realized halfway through that summer, I was like, fuck, if I don't get into this school. I, what's my backup plan? You know, so like, uh, you know, and that whole time, uh, you know, whatever I worked since I was 16. And then, so I go to San Francisco state and that's where I meet Vernon, uh, Chapman in the dorms. We meet our freshman year, like within a week of, of school starting or two weeks. And we just were able to, we just connected over comedy. He wanted to do stand up and be a, you know, he's a real comedy nerd. I really was into comedy, but was just also into just, odd art kind of world he goes into the writing program i eventually get into the film program we make a bunch of shorts but this whole time we would just talk about the best variety show in the history of television is sesame street you know it's (laughs) it's both art 
it's educational, it's comedy, it's strange, it's animation. And we're just like, that is the best show in the world. And eventually, you know, we came up with the idea for, it was called Kids Show then. We came up with it at SF State. And then I come to New York after I graduate. He stays in LA. He gets, he's like a professional. He works on real shows. I'm just making, I'm making strange things with my friends, music videos. I start a band because during that day, you, it was really expensive to make your own movies. You don't, people didn't have editing equipment or, or uh, video cameras uh, so readily. So yeah. like, you, you could buy a guitar for $500 and entertain people and like, you know, goof around. But you couldn't really do that with movies so much or shorts. So eventually he, we, he gets in a position where he's like, hey, let's make a little pitch tape. He moved to New York and we made a pitch tape called Kids Show. And it's what sell- was he working professionally? You say oh, like he was, I'm, I'm- he was working on um like the Chris Rock show. He worked on Conan for a little bit. He was like really a writer. He was like really realizing he didn't want to do stand-up so much and he wanted to be a professional writer. It felt like it gave him the most kind of freedom and it gave him the most creativity. And I think it's I think it was a wise decision for him. So he learned the inside of the TV industry kind of as like on staff on things like Conan. And I th- I'm pretty yes. sure around that time that Conan writer's room was like legendary, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot. There's Louis is there. Glazer's there. Vernon's there. Bra- you know, like all these. It's like, it's the heyday. And Vernon was just like, a, he filled in for a couple months or something. And they just, they liked him and wanted to keep him more. And so during that time, I was basically in a band and I would take any, you know, I, I, I pick the tiniest room in the apart in the, in the apartment that we all had. So I could only, I, I calculated, I'm like, Oh, if I take this room and my rent is this much, I only have to work three days a month. Like, yes. <laughs> nice. and it, it literally could hold a bed and a dresser, but, uh, I would basically, and a guitar. yeah. And a guitar. And I, uh, yeah, I would just sleep with the guitar to quote the pavement. Song. <laughs> and I would take basically any jobs like I worked at a post facility. I was a gaffer for a while. I was like a grip. I was just a PA. New York was a small community. And if you were like, you know, responsible enough and people liked you, they would keep calling you and they'd be, you know, like my friends would say like, hey, do you want to do this job? And they eventually, they, they became the DP of Wonder Shows and for the puppet stuff and our producer are of Wonder Shows. And we're all friends of mine, you know, and all the art department I basically knew how to work on a crew and I knew how to like edit and I knew how to make stuff. Vernon knew how to like package and write and structure things. And so all those kind of experiences of my kind of more homegrown kind of experience, I made Kids Show as a cable access for a couple, for like a season here in in Mm. New York City. Um, So all that kind of experience and independence combined with his kind of professional like you know, understanding TV world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it came together in a, in the and, right way. And you like, so, you know, what did you know about puppets and stuff like that? Like, how did you have the, I mean, we don't like pe- people call us all the time and they're like, we got a puppet show we want to talk to you about. And we're like, we're not puppeteers. We're not, <laughs> we're not in particular love with puppeteers. There was animation on the show. There's kids on the yeah. show. There's, you know, stock, stock documentary stuff. We, we just found that format. And that using of using innocence as a device to to feed cynicism 
was a perfect format, you know, like it definitely was. And, and it really, I guess it, you just encapsulated the genius of it. Really, like you talked about how. Yeah, because if if we're do if we're doing the jokes, like it's two losers, right? But if it's like a cute, <laughs> cute nine year old kid, it's like it's you're you're confounded, you know, like why is this little girl talking about the blood of the working class? She's only nine. How does she know about that? You know, like it it yeah. really unnerves people in a way that we. I think we are really, I'm going to say most of our work is that is unnerving to people. It's like, besides a warning, it's also just like an uncomfortable experience. And yeah, just, I guess that we like, like that debasement. So there's so many things like you're speaking the no film school language, you know, talking about what the DIY aspect of just having learned in the trenches a little bit about filmmaking yeah. and applying that to the way you approached it. And then him, Vernon, knowing about writers rooms and packaging and producing stuff but from a creative standpoint wonder shows in like you're talking about part of like its core dna which was yeah. unnerving people but also the sort of assessing society in this weird way was there an, an intentional like we are going to absolutely go for the jugular and we want to be I don't aggressive think, i don't think we went we intentionally thought we're going to go for the jugular we just thought there was a lot of comedy in, um, you know, like, what would you say, in, like, misogyny, in, like, racism, in, you know, in, in the same way that George Carlin and Richard Pryor thought that, you know, like, so we just hadn't seen that, we hadn't seen it in things besides stand-up a lot, you know, there, there, are, yes. great, there are great people like Coyle and Sharp who are weird and strange and uncomfortable, and then there are people like Richard Pryor who are just like punching you in the face, or George Carlin who are punching you in the face with truths. And so we just thought like, we can't, we like those kind of messages, but we want to deliver something that's, you know, a little more realistic. And then if we're making a, a kid show, a fake kid show, <laughs> then you have to kind of address the lessons that kids get taught, the delusions that kids get taught, the expectations that kids actually can't handle a larger truth. They can only handle like gummy bears and sunshine, you know, like, but, yeah. like, but like, as you know, it sounds like I think you have kids. I hear them in the background and I have yes. kids. Like kids they are will. really, they're emotionally complex, you know? And if you look at those early versions of Sesame Street, there's literally just a song five minutes long of like nylon string guitar, very mellow shots of cows in a field. And it's just a song that's like, Hey cows, <laughs> Hey cows. And it's really kind of sad, you know, and there's something, I thought that's the profound, interesting thing about Sesame street is that they tried to respect kids feelings and emotions and kids truths. Like my, you know, like our, some, my daughters are a little bit radical because of my wife and I, but they understand, they understood like, you know, they understood when we talked about like, you know, Occupy Wall Street or Black Lives Matters, they yeah. totally get it. You know, like yeah. kids understand an injustice at a very simple level. So we wanted to just tell that as not sugarcoated any new way, but the bitter pill that we all realize as you get, uh, as you get older and just take advantage of that comedically if that makes sense. So it wasn't intentionally like mean. Yeah. It wasn't intentionally like, we're going to show these people the truth. It was just like, you know, as we always say there, it's, this stuff is evergreen. Injustice is evergreen. Like you can never, we're not going to do like daily show topical jokes just because we, our show doesn't come out every day. So we were going right. to do stuff that's universally understood. Like there's, 
there's always going to be police beating up black people. That's the history of the police. You know, that's not yeah. a to- that's not a topical joke when we made it. It's not a topical joke now. It's just a forever yeah. truth. So if you just if you just talk about those truths and you know you live in a world, and we were all three of us uh, in PFR, Allison and myself and Vernon, and then J- uh, Jim, the fourth member who is no longer the fourth member, we were all just overtly political, you know, because yeah. how, how can you not be? How can you not be in that time of Reagan? And how can you not be in the time of 9-11 or the WTO or the like, you know, the like kind of like systematic capitalistic racism uh, towards the third world? Like, how do you not, how do you not see it? And scream like, yeah. I love everything you're saying, and I agree. And we talk about, we do, uh, we also do a weekly podcast where we just talk about events in in the entertainment industry. And we always talk about, like, it's impossible not to be political right now. It's kind of, but what you're saying is even more true. It's impossible not to be political, period. Period. And we've had everything. Trump Trump got nominated, and friends of ours were like, we should start making political work. And we were all like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Where that's all where have you been? That's what work is. All work should be political in some way. I and and whatever. I love just like simple entertainment and I love, you know, things that are like not political at all. And I embrace that. I think that's important. But as a creator myself, I don't know how like if you ever have the inclination to make pl- political work, then that's what you should be doing, right? That's the difference between like longevity and like, you know, um ice cream. You know, like it's, it's, the, I, it's no, I, I mean, you mentioned something about wonder shows and there's, t- God, there's so much I want to meant, I want to go further on, but two things. One is like talking about racism, misogyny, the inherent humor. I think you said something to that effect about it and, and Carlin mm-hmm. and prior. Yeah. And I grew up like listening to Carlin until like it broke. Like I just listened to, Car- like I loved it. Right. And, of course. And I think yeah, yeah. that one of the things that unsettles me is that there's this refrain now about like, oh, we can't joke about anything anymore. And I always think like, no. Yeah, and we, we've been yeah. asked like, you know, would you bring Wonder Shows and back? And I, I, I think it's been absorbed too right. much. And I don't think, you know, we're now, Vernon and I, like he, we basically made the entire show really hands-on. Like I did all the camera work instead of, except the puppeteering stuff. And I did all the sound, like, all the beat kids or, or Clarence stuff, that was all, I was doing camera and sound at the same yeah. time. And it would be like with the puppet, it was just Vernon myself. And then it would, we had a PA to get releases, but like we, it was all really homemade on purpose, you know, because it, you know, just it sort the of vibe. Helped. Yeah. And I think part, yeah. And I think part of the thing that we, that was surprising to people and more importantly to executives who made the show is that, you know, Vernon's half black, Allison's a woman, and I'm like like a 40% Chinese. And like, you know, so they would get into discussions about, you can't say this about race, are one of you black? And then Vernon would be like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think the shock was like, oh, people, people of color and people who don't like think the word freak is a pejorative are actually interested in making just jokes. Yeah you know, and comedy. And I feel like that's coming back again. I do feel like people are getting past the idea of like cancel and, and being overly safe because as long as you are moral, you know, as long as people understand the morality of your joke and they understand it, then you're going to be fine. Most of the, most of the problem is when people don't have any understanding of history or politics that it becomes like, wait, this, wait, is this person like, 
you know, and we've been accused of being monsters yeah. before, and that's fine, but I, I can always like defend my work and I'm happy to have a conversation about, about stuff because, you know, like I feel like if you don't have an opinion on those things, then you should go educate yourself. You know, you should go spend the time to read a book, crack a book. <laughs> Another really good point there uh, that I want to highlight, which is you said as long as you're moral, and I, I've tried very hard to find ways to say that, which is that it's always context. I mean, that's not, that's not as eloquent as saying as long as you're moral. Uh, you can joke about things. Well, first of all, you can joke about anything you're allowed to. There may be a consequence to it, yeah. but you're certainly always allowed to joke about whatever you want. Um, and people might not like it or want to work with you anymore, depending on, I think, exactly what you said. Are you, where is yeah. the morality? Where does it lie? Are you pointing to the absurdity of an of, of something, of the immorality or the or the lack of ethics or justice behind something? Or are you, like, there's, who are you punching? Are you punching down? All that. I think that, like. <laughs> yeah. Are you punching yourself? Are you punching a system? Are you punching a structure? Exactly. That and that's yeah. why it's it, like, it, to me, it's always, I, I always think like, of course you can still joke about things. Just like do it in a way that's intelligent and think, think about how you're approaching it. And, and I think the best thing though, you just said like, where does the morality lie is the key for people curious about how to keep being funny. Cause you've kept doing great comedy all this time that continues to attack. Like, and, and I want to, this is the other thing I want to transition to really, really quickly is false positive is a, is kind of, it's not comedy, but it's a, it's attacking patriarchy in an important, interesting way. Broad city, does similarly. So you never stop doing that stuff. No, I, I, you know, I think, I think the one thing that Wonder Shows and did was open the, open the eyes of a lot of people, not everyone, because some people were already, people were already doing some of this work, you know, but opening the eyes of making work that wasn't criticizing pop culture, but criticizing capitalist culture, yeah. you know? And so I, I think we were able to just say, hey, there's plenty to mine here. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to do here if you guys want to do it and we were show we gave a little you know a, a little pathway to show people how that it's available and so I think that was good and we've done that you know with all of our shows I think Xavier Renegade Angel did that the Harchie Holler did that and then what what I would then lead to like false positive which is all someone once described it as we're making warnings <laughs> we're like trying to warn people. About like every show in its own way is a warning, and I I, I I use that. It's very it was insightful in a way that I never thought about. But yeah, I think everything that I've made or with Vernon or with myself that was it like that was my own writing or I wrote with somebody as opposed to just guest directing has always felt like it was a a, a, a like hey hey look at this you know <laughs> like you know like from Xavier being like look at the kind of selfish myopic world of um, spiritualism to the heart she holler, which was warning, Hey, look, there's some white supremacy coming down the lane. Do you guys not see this coming? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then what happened after, you know, five years after that show comes out or, or after it's done, after we're finished, guess who gets nominated to be the president, right. you know, like, and then false positive is that same kind of experience to me of just like, you know, like, Hey, let's check out this power structure that me as a white male, am, am both aware of and also probably part of in so many ways and just like acknowledge it and let's talk about it. Let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like let's, let's have a conversation, you know, and you can participate or not and you can laugh or not, or you can see, you can think there's more in it or not. It doesn't matter. As long as there's enough jokes and entertainment 
then the political issue just like is a, it's the extra part of a meal that makes it more full. Yeah, I wonder, I'm thinking more and more about how that aspect makes it work because I haven't thought too deeply about this, honestly, where one of the reasons Carlin works or Wonder Shows and works or a lot of your projects work in terms of like the the comedy works is partly because of the political element. So, and like you said, the morality. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, I mean, you're using a, you're talking about it like a meal and to go with that metaphor, it's like you balance out the, the with some vegetables, like, and suddenly it, the, the thing works because the scales are balanced. And it's sort of like, those jokes make sense because we understand where you're coming from, right? Sort of like those jokes work because we understand right. your morality. Well, I, I think the two, there's two core types of stories to tell. And one is a very personal story that people connect to emotionally. They can connect to you as a person, as a father, as a family member, as a kid, as a daughter, as, you know, any of those things. And those are all very emotional stories. And then there's the classic political story, you know, the, the, the structure of power. And so we have always, you know, tended towards that as a kind of structure and a story and a point. So in all those stories, in, in all those, you can do whatever. You can be as funny as you want or you can be as, as you know, try to get as many tears as you want. We, we try to do both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like probably for different reasons. But yeah, I think we've always just kept our foot in the, the world of satire, you know, because it's just, I don't know. For me personally, if I'm going to make something and I'm going to spend a lot of time writing it, working on it, making it, editing it, like it's, it's a long time. You have to be with something. I, I, wanted, I want it to have some purpose or meaning. I want to offer something up into the world that like, you know, has a reason to be, you know, as much as I, you know, like the band I was in was, has nothing to do with that. It was just novelty. And some shows that I've worked on have kind of nothing to do with that. I, you know, I, I can also have my foot in this other world of entertainment, but me personally, the stuff that I make my, you know, that is from my own generation or like collaboration mind with other people, I feel like it should have a, it, there should be something else there. You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, that that tees up false positive. How long ago did you start working on? I, so what I know, uh, what I've read is that, you know, the story sort of existed in some format for you before you collaborated more 
yes. on it. But what was the original? Can you tell me a little bit about where it started? I that, can't. That, that I can't. story starting. Yeah, yeah uh, I would say it probably started. My my our oldest daughter's fourteen years old now, so it started probably like fifteen years ago. My wife, we had some birth complications. We had a miscarriage, and so that happened similar time to just previously, like my father passed away, who was a big oh, wow. kind of a big comedy influence in my life. Like he was very yeah. he's very funny, and a lot of the stuff I make is clearly inspired by him. And then I was also reading Peter Pan. So there's this kind of like trifecta, you know, triangles being always a great thing to base things on of like, how do you, how do you deal with loss, you know, and ghosts? And I would have dreams about my dad and I'd wake up and I'd be like, that's great. I got to spend the day with my dad, you know, like, and I, and to me, I wasn't bummed out about it. I was always really excited that I was like, oh, that was so fun. We just, you know, like I, I forgot, I didn't even think of it or try to analyze the dream. I'd just be like, we were in the car together, just hanging out. And it was like really interesting to me. And at that, in, in Peter Pan, there's this great part of the book. It's not in any of the movies, never will be because it's a more intellectual part of the book. And I don't even think it's in the play, but there's a section, there's like four chapters or five chapters that it's just the parents, the darlings sitting in the room, the kids' rooms. Uh, one room, the way that all three kids stay, just sitting in there, staring out the open window where the kids have disappeared. And I remember reading that going, oh, fuck, that's not a good thing. That's not a good... <laughs> that, that, there's only three things... There's only two things possible. Someone stole the kids or they jumped, right? Or, you know, or three, sorry. Or, and then this is what, you know, the evil that men do is rape in all its forms. The evil that women do is um, infanticide. They kill their babies. And so I was like, either she killed the babies, they flew out, you know, they jumped out or someone stole them. Neither way, neither, neither of those are good options. And I was like, that's, that's a great, you know, that's a great image to me. It was a great metaphor. And so when does it come in the story? Can you? It's at the end, literally at the end of the movie, uh, false positive. And at the beginning, we, we start in an open window. We come into from an open window. And oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I was going to say, when is it in Peter oh, Pan? Oh, and, oh, and Peter Pan. It's, um, it's, there's like three or four chapters mixed in with the whole book. I'm going to say, I wrote my own version of Peter Pan. I have a little art book that I took out everything with Peter and Wendy and the kids. And I just did a version of just the parents. <laughs> oh man, that is so weird yeah. and cool. Yeah, I want to so, know more about that. <laughs> I, I just, I just made an art. It's like an art book that I'm going to give to people, like when the movie comes out. You know, I'm just making like fifty or a hundred as like kind when of when false op- positive comes out. Yeah, yeah, when false positive comes out. So if we become friends, you might, you know, you might get one of those. But uh, well, wait, uh, but just like tell me about more. I, 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 I'm fascinated by this. I've never read Peter. I think my mom tried reading it to me when I was little a few times. She definitely, I don't remember those scenes, but <laughs> tell me when they come in the story that, so the, the first that there's time sequences that, of just the parents and the windows. Is it more than one time that they're standing yeah, there? It's more than one time. They're just sitting there waiting because they're sitting there discussing the kids and what could have happened. Peter Pan is kind of a, a story within a story. They tell the story of what happened to the kids, even though we go away. So their story right. is just like a, their story is the parents just sitting there going, I wonder if this is what happened, if this is how it happened. While the kid's story is they're off into the world, and it's really Wendy's story, which is a right. story, a story of a, a girl who is about to become a woman 
who is right. like, wait, I don't want to, uh, you know, I'm going to have to leave this room because I'm no longer a child, but I don't want to fucking come and take care of men. It's not my job. It's just, just go take care of like idiots. And so like she, <laughs> she, she then wants to return home. You know, so it's like right, it, right. she wants to return. You know, it's a classic fairy tale of growing up, of coming of age, and it's yes. the, it's the thing that I think people always forget about that that story is it's truly a female coming of age, and it's about her trying to figure out her position in the world. Uh, uh, yes, you know what is a woman's position in the world, and so I just think what's so fascinating. The reason I'm so fascinated by it is that in the most popularized version, the shift of focus is away from that. The shift of focus is away from what's happening at home. The assumption is that they yeah, yeah, are yeah, yeah. experiencing this fantasy somehow. And, and to maybe me, it's, like it's they're, real. They're, yeah, they're clearly in some sort of afterlife or heaven in my world. You know, like that's yeah. that's like to me, I, I really love that image of the window. And I love that they were like, oh, those kids are somewhere else. They're in with all these other little kids. Is this a story about dead children? You know, is yeah. Peter Pan, beyond the metaphor of innocence and youth? You know, like the I think, the, I right. think the book goes beyond that. It actually suggests, and I've read a lot about it. There's not a lot of that kind of discussion, and I don't think Barry, the author, was um, that was his intentions. But that's my interpretation of it, and that's the kind yeah. of world that I think that's where it makes the most sense. Like a fairy tale can be evocative, you know, in such yeah. a simple tale. To me, that's what a Neverland is is not is not a real place. You know, it's not like a a fantasy about innocence. It's a fantasy about death. Yeah, no, I that I like that. I get it. That it's it's a completely interesting thing that it's the opposite of what the the most main like you said you're never going to see it in a movie. And it's like no because the movie's going to talk about it like, well, is Neverland real? Did they really go there? The yeah, movie's never, not yeah. going to talk about like are they dead or are they alive or no, no, <laughs> like no, what no. are the parents that's, doing? The, that's false the parents positive. are sitting false right, positive. Right, exactly. And that's that, yeah, like yeah. so the false positive thing. So the trifecta of you, you lost your father, there was a miscarriage, and I know what that experience is like too. It's devastating and, and crazy. Yeah, and then people don't right. uh, people didn't talk about it. I would like talk about it with some of my friends, and they're like, yes. "Oh my god, we did too." And I'm just like, "What's this like?" There's no like let we have such a shitty relationship to health in our society, both physical and mental. Like that no one can just like actually have a conversation and support and like we do it's not a system based on support, which is the real tragedy of our healthcare system that we just don't do that. We just don't think that's the right thing to do to human beings in our in our society. And it's really like that's the that rage is throughout the movie, both in, you know, in Lucy's realization of her own responsibility and what was what happens to her, you know? And to me. That's like it's. It seems so simple. Like let's just figure out a way to support people. Like <laughs> that's what healthcare is, right? Yeah, isn't, that isn't the, it? That's the assumption I, of healthcare. I'm, the most yeah. obvious horrible thing about the way our healthcare system works right now is that everybody I know, when they're going through something tough, there's a GoFundMe, and so it's like they're they're like that part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's and you're absurd. talking about it's the depressing. support part where it's like, it's hey, everybody I know, can you help me right now? Like, I'm in trouble. I'm dying. Or somebody I know is like in serious trouble. Like, I need help. Like, literally. Yeah. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 I'll help. So we rely, we were, we rely on capitalism, but we rely on the like kind of like the good spirit, the the hardworking <laughs> people will chip in their money. You know, like that idea, as opposed to like. Why do we have to rely on that? Like, why can't we structurally 
create a system that actually supports society. A lot of people and not ask like people who might not have as much yeah, money. Yeah, why are we the bucks, end of It's a Wonderful you know, like, Life every time? <laughs> yeah, why is that a website? Why is that a fucking website? It's that's it is. truly that, that's depressing. That, uh, like that. Tell me, you live like, in a dystopia uh, without telling me you live in a dystopia or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. you know the whole God when you have when when you're dealing with pregnancy, miscarriages, birth in general, and I, I obviously as a man, you know, I don't have the my, my experience is different secondhand, but there is all this stuff women are dealing with or approaching, which is just like, do I trust this this patriarchy? This constructed hospital system, and there's this debate about like yeah. you know what they did two gen one generation two generations ago. They were like put you under, you don't know what happens, nobody sees anything. Yeah. Dad's in the waiting room, and then it's here or it's not. All that feels like it's wrapped up in false positive. The, there's a key moment in the movie that the safe is 1994, right? And, and that's the finally that um, domestic rape is a crime in our country in 1994. Like, like you, spousal rape is actually becomes illegal in all the states, not just some of the states. And that's only 27, Holy 30 crap. years ago. I didn't ago. know that. And my like, wife worked in a rape yeah, treatment center. Yeah, that's why. And that's, I didn't even know that date. <laughs> I that's should why know that, that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. That's why that's that's the safe code, you know. All there's a lot of things like that in the movie that actually have like larger meanings that, like you know, that are just like I don't care to explain that in the movie. But like, if you care, there's it. It's a, there's so much to mine in this issue in the whole history from Comstock laws to that to now, you know, like there's just so much oppression towards women, and then you know, like it's. It's daunting how much information is in there. We have a picture of Comstock in the movie and, you know, we don't say who he is, but it really comes to this, like, you know, these laws that are supposed to put women, you know, they, women are supposed to act a certain way. Women should, you know, be dignified and they're like little pearls, you know, right. <laughs> and like, and it's such a, it's such a dehumanizing when anytime you try to reduce the individual to a group, it's, it's always dehumanizing. It's all, you know, so like, so great. That's perfect for drama. That's perfect for character. That's perfect thing to point out and just say, fuck you to that shit. Yeah. But I mean, I, I want to follow up even more because, so you had the idea because we're already into the kind of political aspect yeah, yeah. of it. So, oh, yeah. So I'll go back. I'll go back. So then all that was swimming around and I had these like visuals that I kept that, you know, a few of them in little moments in the scenes. And my wife was reading uh, the author, Alyssa Nutting, and her short stories and, and Allison Levy, who is now working with Alyssa Nutting on an animated show, was like, you should read this, this woman's books. You know, it's the most I've ever felt that is you and Vernon, you know? And so I read them and I was like, oh my God, they're, they're, her imagery, her rhythm, her jokes were all so perfectly strange. I contacted her. I'm a person who does that. If I like your film, I'll try to find you and say, how the hell did you make that? That's really <laughs> like, cool. Like, what, what were you thinking? And I like, you know, so I just try to, both, you know, just as a community, I'm always trying to talk to other people because we as directors don't interact so much with other directors. You know, you rarely meet them. So anyway, so then I talked to her about the story and we kind of wrote this tone poem that was like dreamy and strange. And then like eventually I'm, I'm directed a bunch of broad cities. That was really fun and easy. Abby and Alana were so smart and with it that 
we got along right away. Like it was a, it was a, a clear friendship right what away. What connected you and to then, Broad City initially? Like, how did you get involved? Uh, they, I knew they were looking for directors. I just finally started to realize I should start thinking about a directing career after making our own things. I was like, uh-oh, I better, I could see the future and going like, am I going to really be able to keep making my own things for the rest of time? Uh-huh. And I was like, probably, probably not. <laughs> I should probably also, I should probably also be practical. I didn't, I, I've never done ads. I don't want to do ads. That's a path that people take. Yeah. So I, it was right around that time. I knew the show. I, uh, you know, I heard the, heard about, they were making a show. I like the kind of anarchic, gritty humor that they had. Yeah, I knew the show. I knew the showrunner was a really good friend of mine, and I and I said, um, you know, I I just started. I had directed some things for like John Glazer. We like, you know, he did stuff in our Delocated. I I I'd done that, but that felt like more personal. That was just like the writers of that show were Glazer, myself, and Vernon. You know, like we, right. Glazer would do all the writing, but it was the three of us in the room, like breaking the story and all that stuff. Sure. And so that felt more intimate. That sort of felt like a, it's like not mine. It's Glazer's show, but I had a part in it. So I started. You wanted, I wanted to like, open directing assignments. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. And then, so then I, I just met them and I, I, you know, I just asked them about some other shows and I brought them DVDs as presents. And Alana was like, I'm a big giant Wonder Shows and fan. And I was like, great. And, you know, and so it, it was just like an easy interview. I, I, all my interviews, whenever I meet either people like that or like people who want to fund movies, I just try to spend two hours or an hour of just like, let's talk and see if we're going to get along. Cause this is a long yeah. journey. I don't like, I, I'm not going to talk about actors or DPs. I'm not interested in that right now. I want to know if we are going to see, if we see things the same way, both life and the project and like the world. And so to me, that's, that's if I'm gonna make if I'm gonna work for you or if I'm gonna help you out, I want to know you're not a fucking asshole, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and I want you to know how I see the world and how I'm you know how, what I'll be like. And so I, I so then Alana, I want to highlight that for for our listeners though because that is great advice for approaching every partnership and correct. it echoes things I've heard in different ways. Which that if you like your any job is going to be a long haul. And the relationship, like, do I want to work with this person every day for a long time through thick and thin is the key of those interviews and those interactions. For sure. Yeah. People want to know you're a human. Like, I, I, I'm not necessarily like, a, I don't think of my, and I kind of don't really buy the auteur kind of view of the world. I believe there's yeah. a different kind of director and I don't believe in the myth of the asshole artist. I think that's a scam that, you know, that's a romantic yeah. scam. Like look at the Co- yeah. the Coen brothers, maybe the best, most celebrated filmmakers of our time, like living filmmakers, <laughs> you know, and th- yeah. they're like the nicest, thoughtful. They like, you know, they'll, they'll wait for some of their crew. They're like, oh, the crew can't start for another three weeks. Then let's push it. Let's wait for everybody. You know, <laughs> like, and yeah. they're like, and that's why their movies are great, you know, because- yeah, everyone working on them wants to be there and feels appreciated and part of the crew, the thing, you know, like you go on set and you have to, like, I did all those things. I worked as a sound person. I worked, you know, I ran cable. Yeah. Like, so, you know, like I know when a DP, when we talk about lighting, I know what the lighting design is. I know what they mean. And then I'll participate in that conversation. And, you know, like, it helps to know when they're like, this is going to take a long time. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> like, you know, like, but we got to do yeah. it because it's worth it. It just helps. I, I think the, I don't know. I, I find the asshole artist is just like a, 
I don't know. It's it's just a scam. No, it's I agree with you. You said yeah. saying calling it a scam is really good. We I we talk about that a lot. I talk about it a yeah. lot. It it's sort of a con yep. in a weird way because yeah, yeah. it's kind of like uh, that's the only way to be a genius. It's, or that's yeah, the to only way to up, get is you. to be propped up for your your stupidity. Like oh, right. they're not they're and, not dumb. And to be difficult. They're not dumb and lazy right. and difficult. They're geniuses, and you're like that. that, right. that wait, that math doesn't add up. That just <laughs> that yeah doesn't yeah. Work. I, I, it also is like extremely inefficient. I mean, just from the standpoint of like, but, but I don't know how I, I, I ask this I, all the time. I'm always on sets. I'm like, how do people do it? Like, I feel like, you know, I would work on broad city or like search party or any of those things. And I gotta, I gotta do seven pages in a day with three location moves and I'm super organized and efficient. I'm like, how did the other directors do it? Like directors that I know, you know, that are, are great directors and nice people, but they're not the most efficient, organized people. And I'm like, how the hell did they do it? You know, and I, I don't know how they do it. They just somehow do. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply your point about attitude like it's like being a human being goes a long way and being a moral human being in your approach or in your political outlook and yeah. in how you approach the work and in how you treat the other people and their yeah. needs on set all of that is like wrapped up into one thing which is like how do you go to sleep how do you feel good about yourself yeah no how matter do you sleep what? at night that's the song yeah you were just about to quote that lyric yes yeah 100%. Right. Like, yeah 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 and so there's something that I find that's like the, what are the ends at one point? There's a lot of like chickens coming home to roost for folks in the not doing that lately that it's sort of been like, well, we'll look the other way for a while, but as yeah, soon finally, as it starts. Yeah, finally, I, yeah, finally. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as it starts to pile on though, it's like an avalanche and that's a good thing. But yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it makes sense to me that, that you have that approach. It fits with the way, the spirit of your work. I think, I think if you want to be that person, then make paintings or write a book, like write, do something very individualistic. But a movie is like a real collaboration. You know, like uh, my, my Allison uh, used to be in the art world and she made these photographs of like uh, her doing cartwheels in front of famous artworks, like all things that she loved. She just wanted to show like her appreciation. And so she did this series of, photographs and people were always like well you didn't do the photo you didn't take the photograph so how's this your work and it was me taking the photographs <laughs> and and i was just like well spielberg doesn't shoot his fucking movies but you still call it a spielberg movie like he didn't make the food for it he didn't do the costuming like you know like what are you talking about artistry is a is collaboration in so many forms and if you want to be if you have to do it your way it's really difficult to make movies you know, you rely yes. on so many people. You need someone to give you millions of dollars. But make a painting, write a book, 
that's like you know you you just talked you just mentioned something that reminded me like because you opened up talking about the child's reality or view. I remember as a child, I would slowly realize I was like, wait, so the director didn't write it. No, 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 the director didn't write it. And the director doesn't hold the camera. No, no, no. The director doesn't hold the camera. Like, yeah. Wait. What the hell is the like? Why yeah. is this the person we're talking about having made the? What did Hitchcock do? Like, and I'm not saying he doesn't. He's not of course, a no, no, yeah, but, but no, it's a, it's a good question. And and <laughs> when I tell people who want to direct, you know, who like are like, oh, hey, I want to do what you want to do. I'm um, like, well, you should really. Your main job, one of your main jobs, is to become a salesperson, know how to sell yourself, and know how to like give people get people to give you a job or money. And so you have yeah. to have a little bit of skill as an actor, you know, and as a salesman and as a storyteller, that's a really valuable thing. And then the other thing is to know human psychology, to know how yeah. to get people to do things, to know how to get executives who like are sitting by the monitor and they're ready to panic and how to get them to not panic, you know, and how to get the actors to like do stuff and how to get the crew to like, help you out and dig in and give that's, you that extra, that thing. And so like, that's invaluable, but people don't think about that. I've seen like young directors try to come on set and you're just like, Oop, you, you're losing. You're like, you're yelling and it's day one. You've just like, yeah. I, I'm going to visit you in three weeks when you're on day 14 or 15 and it's not going to be good. And it never is. It never is. I know. Like, I mean, I completely agree. You get into it thinking it's one thing because you, what you see is the finished product you think is, a, I mean, I, you know, it, uh, for, for a lot of people, not even just kids, for a lot of people, they're like, wait, the actors don't make that stuff up? Like, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no yeah, they, yeah. Don't, they don't make that stuff up. But the um, the going back again, like you keep going far afield and I've, I've really enjoyed this. So I don't <laughs> want to take up all of your time. No, no, I'll talk. I'm, I'm a yapper, so I'm happy to yeah, talk Yeah, I love little. it. I'm, um, I'm happy to talk I, more. But I, I, the thing that, the thing about, again, going back to false positive. So you got an open directing assignment you did Broad City. Yeah. You got you connected with them as people. And then did you and Ileana have this sort of like, how did she know or find out? Because she became a co-writer. Ilana. Yeah, yeah. Ilana, we were in a hotel because we were shooting the episode that took place on a plane. And the only place you can do that is, is in Los Angeles. You can't do that in New York. So we were in a hotel in Los Angeles. And she, she's just like, so what are you working on next? You know, like, cause she knew me as like, you know, like they, it was after a day that I just shot Adam, what's his name? Adam, De, who's that singer? Adam Devine, De, De Levine, Levine. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that guy, I, we just shot him and he like, I just shot it. Like he did a take that was just fine. And I was like, dude, it's, you're not, you don't, you're not given enough. Like this is really flat. And he's like, I think no one had spoken to him like that like in a long time. And like to me, I'm like, it's the joke. I don't give a shit who you are. The joke has got to work. You know, <laughs> like, you know, not in a mean way. I just like, like to me, that's how, you know, I have standards with jokes and it's got to work. And so I told him, like, I gave him a big note. I was like, bigger, bigger, bigger. Whatever you just gave is 10%. I want 90%. And he did yeah. a big, he did a much bigger take and everyone applauds him afterwards, you know? And he was just like, oh yeah. And then he came up to me and he's like, hey, you should, uh, we should contact you to direct some commercials for the voice. <laughs> and and most, <laughs> most of the crew at that point, like, you know, all the crew and the producers and uh, Abby and Alana knew me, like, and knew my work and how, like, you know, and they that just like- That was never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a great, it was like a great joke for them to, to watch me go, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm around, you know, and just like, let's get back to work. 
And so Alana, <laughs> during that time, Alana, like that one night, we were just in the hotel together hanging out. We like wrapped a little early or something, or we were just tired. And she's like, what are you working on? And I told her some of the ideas that I had and false positive. She's like, that one, that one, I want to do that one. And I was like, uh, you know, I was like, are you sure? You know, because it was, you know, a lot of the weird dreamy things that are in false positive now were, were in that script. And so I gave her the script and she read it and she said, yeah, I, I love it. She's like, I just wanted to have a little bit more of a grounded structure, you yeah. know, or a, a very clear journey to follow right now. It is, she called it the tone poem. And I, I always yeah. called it like a, it was a, it was a piece of, piece of clothing without a hanger, you know, like was it, it, it was undefined. Like a- how many pages of script was that? It's probably like clothing? 60 pages or 60. Okay. So it like, wasn't like you wrote a feature length. In my mind, it was a feature. In my mind, it was a feature. It was 60 pages because it was going to be a lot of like empty space. Yeah. You know, but wow. like, you know, but she, it ended up being like 90 pages, but that 30 pages was key. We added a lot of clear, very simple structure that, you know, made it made it what you know it's a nice it's a nice version of both normal and uncertain you know like is it real yeah. or is it not so i think i think what she added was invaluable and was successful and, and all that stuff i like your st- the story of how it happened because it's like you had a moment like the way you told it so you had a moment everybody I, she identified that you were like i'm going to put the work in front of everything i want to do good work i have this idea about what like quality and yeah. a joke is and stuff. And then she was just like, I'm curious. Like, I want to keep working with this guy. <laughs> it's kind of like it pays off to be true to yourself and your yeah, artistic Yeah, yeah, goals. yeah, yeah, for there's sure. There's a lesson. Yeah. yeah, there's a lesson there, which is like to be respectful and, you know, to be a human. And, but like to like, you know, like I, uh, I take comedy pretty seriously, you know, like, and to be a professional and like, I think they were able to see how I could like how I helped their show and how I was like organized and on time. Yeah. And I don't like to waste people's time, you know, like, you know, and just like, and collaborative and like, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm just, to me, everything I've done has been collaborative. And anytime I try to do something that's on my own, you know, whether it is painting or writing songs on my own, I, it's, I don't, it's hard. It's a hard hurdle to, uh, you know, I, I really like to have another voice. I, have an, I like to have another person to mess around with. And finding the right person for the project is always the, the journey. And in this particular case, it was, Ilana was clearly the answer the whole time. And you guys brought in like a ton of like very talented, like, I mean, Justin Thoreau, Pierce Brosnan. There's like yeah. a lot of great talents involved and 824. Like, so when does 824... So Alana and I end up, end up writing the script and have a version of the script that is probably good enough. And then uh, I had been going to 824 for a while, just like to talk to them and, you know, to like say I'm interested in making stuff for them. You know, like you, it's a process. It probably was like a year of like two different meetings and then finally coming in with Alana with the script and saying, here's what we want to do. And they read Tell it. me about those meetings. Like, mm. I mean, to me from the outside, like from and from what I do, like you com- combining with A twenty four feels like like kind of like a, a dream, like an all star team up kind of where it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I want to see them get behind <laughs> something he wants to do because they champion stuff that's a little like my like offbeat that I'm interested in. Right. I, I guess calling it offbeat, whatever. And, yeah, and yeah. you are a, a person who's going to stick to a creative. I, it just feels right. So I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are too. A twenty four 
kind of feel like the cool kids in town sometimes. But yeah, like for sure. When, when think, you're like, think, I'm going to go there. Like, what's I, your what's the process? I'm a person who always has like five ideas happening at once. And I think you, I got you. You have to be realistic and go like, oh, I, I'm not going to go to Fox with false positive. <laughs> just, just not going to happen. Like, why waste my time? You know, so like uh, you really as much as I don't like to know the industry and care about the industry. My job is to know as a salesman who's buying and what they're buying. And, you know, and, you know, so like I've made stuff for Adult Swims and I know people are like, oh, should it, oh, it didn't get picked up at Adult Swim. Should we sell it elsewhere? And I'm like, no one's going to buy it. Move on. Write something else. So I... Your ability to do that. Can you tell me where you got that? Because when, in my experience creatively, that there are a lot of forces. Well, and, I think there's that, two that will tell you, like yes. agents, yeah, yeah. managers, lawyers, who will say, like, "Well, let's take it out to all the big fish." And and some instinct, if you're like us, you and I, and many people I know, will be like, "No, nah, that'll never happen." Where did you develop that sense or that ability to be like, "No, we're not wasting our time." I think sometimes it just might be who certain people have that. I won't. Uh, I won't tell the metaphor story. Uh, I just, What's, I, <laughs> now I, think, I want to know what the metaphor oh, is. Right. I, when I work, I, when I was in a band, I was, um, uh, we opened for, they might be giants a lot. And Flansburg, who I became friends with, you know, Flansburg would say Linnell's the important reason that the band ex- is popular. And cause he can play, Linnell can just like play any instrument and write crazy. Like he starts, he, he, he starts hearing a song that he's never heard on the radio and he can start just playing the song. Like he knows where it's going to go. You know, like it's nuts. And then Lavelle's like, no, no, Flansburg's the one because we're a band. Like there's, there's dozens of me across this, like just in New York alone. We're a band that should never have made it where we are. Flansburg really knew how to sell us and knew how to like, you know, how to get people to give us money. To make it. Yeah. So that's part of the salesman is knowing that, knowing the industry and knowing what's real. And so there's two, there's two schools of thought. Either you write something that can go to everybody and that can be fine, right? Like there's great movies that are written, you know, like that are written for total populism that are written for everybody. But if you're not that kind of writer of create or creator, then you write specifically your own thing. And sometimes you go, okay, all my eggs are in one basket. And if it doesn't sell, then it doesn't sell. Then I throw this in the trash. But knowing that this is what I wanted it to be. And I don't want to say like that art- artistry is more important than the other one because I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of like, you know, of shows that are just like for everybody. I love that shit. Of America's Funniest Home Videos is my favorite TV show of all time. You know? <laughs> and so like, I don't care. I have no, I have no, I don't value high versus low. They're sure. equal. To, they're equal to me. Um, so I think you just have to pr- really know who you are as a creator and know, then know, is it for everybody or is it for like four places? Like if I'm writing a cheap horror movie, I'm going to go to Blum, you know, I'm going to go yeah. Blum house first, you know, and there's going to be like maybe three after that. And then like knowing that it might just disappear and fade away, you know, and then, yeah. and then there's always just a little bit of luck in that world. You do have yeah. to like, and you can create your own luck. So it is just like knowing the places. And I knew this idea, false positive, wasn't a very popular idea. When I started writing it, I was like, no one's going to ever make this movie. It's just going to be like, I'd have to get foreign funding. And then slowly up pops 
and Aparna and up pops a 24, you know, yeah. starting to, starting to make these interesting movies. And I was like, Oh wait, I, you know, I, I I'm going to go start talking to this people, you know, like I, you know, we have plenty of friends in common. And so I just go there and meet them. And they're like, what are you looking for? And like, what's your budget? And, and I just talked to them about projects and that I had and false positive being one of them. And they were like, that's kind of interesting. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to come back with Alana Glazer and a script. And they're like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll, let's set a meeting for a couple months from now. And That's so, so cool. You know, so you just do that. And luckily, I've, I've made enough stuff that I, I can get into those doors. Yeah. For the, for yeah. the people who haven't, you know, it, it is a debate of do I make something popular for more people or do I write my own thing and then, you know, put all your big eggs in a basket and, you know, I, I can't tell you which one's the best decision. You got to go with what the idea is and you got to go with what's easy for you to write and what makes the most sense for you to write and what makes something make something like, you know, I, I've tried to write like shitty movies before and I just, <laughs> you, you, you never finish. I'm like, that idea is amazing. That's going to sell. And then on page 25, I throw it in the trash and I'm like, I'm, I, I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. You know, like, Which, so like you have to know I yourself and your abilities. I love that contrast of that story to the fact that you wrote a 60-page tone poem that was going to be a feature-length project that you <laughs> knew nobody would make. So, yeah. like, the contrast between thinking, like, I'm going to finish writing. Tell me, like, I, I'm just fascinated to know how. I find it inspiring, but also I, I, can't, ima- I can't understand it on, on another level. Like, how you're in the middle of writing a 60-page tone poem that you know has no home because you're smart enough to recognize at that moment in the industry, like, I don't know who's going to pay for this. Maybe someone I in mean, another country. That, that's, that's why it took probably uh, 10 to 15 years to get made, right? Because it, <laughs> right. it, was, it was sitting in my closet, like with, the, with my old boots for a long time, you know, and I, and I would always visit it. But it's the same as Wonder Shows and Wonder Shows and got, it, we sold it to USA. It didn't get picked up. It took like four years until it finally got picked up. And we never gave up on it. It was always sitting there. We'd make copies. It was in art shows. It was like, you know, like it was around in the, in the culture and in the world. And then finally someone sort of picked it up. So I don't always get rid of projects. They're always just sort of sitting in the back of my mind. Cause sometimes, so they don't die. Cause some people yeah. will say like such and such is dead, you know, but, like but, you'll but have then, to- but some projects do die for sure. Some projects yeah. do die, but that's usually when you actually try to sell it and it doesn't happen. But these were always things that we never, you know, but you never, you just never know. Like, I never think things totally die. I just think they're like, you know, they're put in storage and then some things probably do die for sure. Um, It's just cool because it also ties to something else you said, which was that if you address creatively evergreen topics, Right. I don't yeah. usually use evergreen to describe things like assaulting, like the patriarchy or racism or misogyny or any of these things. But if you're writing, if that's your creative source, then like it really doesn't die because those evils and structures are yeah. not going away. It's why, yeah, it's why wonder shows and clips are still, you know, spread around and, you know, they're, like either, it, they're as viral as ever. <laughs> yeah. Because, because it has a point, it'll always have a point. And so, yeah. So, and then you can like show people something, but if you make something about Jimmy Carter, <laughs> who I love, you know, like, and we've, we've used him and stuff, like it's very specific. It might not have as much resonance right. <laughs> you know, like right now. 
<laughs> well, that's that's the key. Is like you know, like uh, you're talking about pitching and how do you how do you pitch? You do have to know how to read a room. You know, you do have to know how to be uh, like to to kind of understand human psychology and understand when people are connecting with you or not, or how to manage time and expectations. Vernon and I, and I have always been proponents of send them less, hmm. send people less. Like when we pitched Xavier to Adult Swim you know, who they knew wonder shows and then they promoted wonder shows and they were big fans of it, even though it was on MTV. We just yeah. sent, we sent the head of uh, adult swim, a painting and a poem. And that was it. And so like, you know, and so I've like sent people pitches that were like just a drawing and just something strange. So they like, look at it and they're like, God damn it. Now I got to call this fucker up. Like, <laughs> and like, you know, like, we sent a doll once to, for a pitch, like a doll that you could pull apart. And there was like a doll inside the doll, inside the doll, inside the, the doll. Russian doll thing? Yeah, but it was, like a, it was like split in half. So you saw its guts. It was a Russian doll of human biology, like that Whoa. kind of thing. For, for which project? So this, I didn't even know. And we so, just stumbled onto something amazing because people always ask, and I've done so many, like, because no film school is educational. We've done it. Yeah. How to pitch. How do you pitch? Yeah. How do you work a room like that? So I, mean, everybody I, I like to do this. I like to do that. I like to make make it so that people have to call you up. You know, like they have to go like, yeah. what the hell is this? What yeah. are you talking about? Hollywood's a very strange place. After Wonder Shows and Vernon and I did all these tours to like people wanted to work with us. And we pitched a couple movie ideas that never happened. And everyone like you go into these offices and they got pictures of Boone Well and Richard Pryor. And you're like, these people are the best. And then yeah. you sit, tell them their idea and they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Do you have like a, <laughs> do you have something that's more of like a family on a boat comedy? <laughs> and we're like, you know, like, and so like Hollywood is full of people who love movies, truly love the history of movies. They know about movies, but that's separate from the business of movies. Yeah. You know, and to know those two things are different is, ve is very important. You know, was it a wake up call that kind of tour when you were hot? I, you know, and and people were like, these guys are you know crazy in there. I mean, we just, it was like a wake up call in the fact that it's just a disappointment, you know, because like we, I, it's why I live in New York. Ultimately, it's why I live yeah. in New York. Like I live in the world of like my neighbors are architects and teachers, you know, like but like the the teacher is a big fan of Goya. You know, like, like, and you know, like, so I can go see Thurston Moore with Lin-Manuel Miranda, like go perform of some weird shit, you know, like, and so like, it's yeah. why you're there because New York likes the culture clash. They like to mix it up. Hollywood likes the, the business, you know, and it's yeah. a business. It's you're a one industry. Jealous. It's a one industry <laughs> town. But then, you know, but then again, like I probably have missed out on tons of like opportunities because I live in New York. You know, like, yeah, but you know. I think that there's yeah, but you're but the balance of that is that there's like a creative breeding ground of just crossing over. I mean, that's just the New York thing in a nutshell. Yeah, we it's just do, New we should York. do a yeah, routine a now in New York versus LA. But like proximity means you're gonna cross everything's gonna melt together and Los Angeles yeah. is isolating by its nature, built around cars. So yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. gonna get you're not gonna cross pollinate creatively the same way. No, it's a different kind of collaboration there. So like so we, you know, so like those, you got to know the rooms. You got to like read the people. And like, I just kind of think Vernon and I are all, we've, most of our work has been some form of a prank or another. And I, I often say, I think directing is a form of, of prank on the actors. 
And so like, <laughs> you know, like I, I think you gotta have that attitude going in a little bit. If you're that kind, you know, for the stuff we make, if you're telling an emotional story, you don't want to do that. But if you're selling comedy and like weird stuff, like we try to always have like a, you know, we, 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 we would do, we've done fake pitches before we've been accused of fake pitching. We've like, you know, made stuff up on the spot. Um, you know, tell me about a fake pitch or we we were with an, we were with an executive who we had a meeting with and they then get on the phone with bigger filmmakers than us. And they're like, Oh, this will be just a minute. And they get on a phone call real quick, literally in the middle of our meeting, they forgot about it. And after like five to 10 minutes of us just sitting there, I go to Vernon. I'm like, okay, let's make something up. Clearly we do not, we're not going to like, we can't walk out. We're not going to walk out, but fuck this person. So we yeah. made up a we made up a pitch uh, while she's on the phone. We made up a thing, and I, I, it's probably a good idea. It was called the Dud, and it was <laughs> a it was a opposite Kramer versus Kramer. It was two uh, parents who have a kid that's just a dud. He's just like <laughs> you know he's he walks into walls. He can't eat. Just like a true loser. And so they they reverse cuss. They're getting a divorce, <laughs> and they they try to prove that they're bad parents so that they don't get the dud. And of course, like in all great. You know, and all great things that Dud brings them back together and they're a happy family at the end. So we just basically make this up for like three or four minutes. She gets off the phone. She gets off the phone. Now I'm revealing who it is. Uh, Or no, I'm not revealing. I haven't said enough. Yeah. Uh, She will take that out. The person gets off the phone. (laughs) And and so we pitch this and, you know, and then we just leave because we're just like, like, if you're going to be a fucking asshole, then why am I going to waste my time? Like, I don't want, no, I wouldn't do that to you. So I don't want to, I'm, you know, and this person had a lot of power, a lot of money, but just not interesting. It's just not interesting. They, to work for, <laughs> what I want the end of that story that. to be, even though it's not true. So maybe I want, the, I want well, it to got, be that, we like, one, we got an offer. We, we, there was one person immediately we knew we were like, okay, we're not this person there. They're, they're got a lot of energy, but they don't like the same jokes. We like you could tell. So we made up a pitch it was called GX Good Times. It was like the Good Times, the TV show, but like extreme. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like di- dynamite and then big explosions, you know, like, and as we leave the lot, this is like a big, big place, like a big known lot. As we leave, our agent calls us and said they loved it. And our agent <laughs> thought our agent thought they loved the normal pitch, the movie we were actually trying to pitch. Oh, and, no. And then we're like, no, no, we pitched this other thing. And the dumb thing is, Vernon and I, we should have done it. We should have said yes and written it, but oh, we didn't. Absolutely. We, I know. It, we were like, we, we didn't let ourselves be part of the joke. We, let our, we, we just let the joke die, and we should have written oh, it. Oh, man. So, like, that, that, kind, of, that kind of thing. I had, like, a write, so when I, gotta, I had a writing you partner. You got to amuse yourself. You have to amuse yourself. You know? I had like, a writing partner, and we were pitching for a while. We had, we, we had, like, a little viral thing, and we were being thrown around, and we were not as confident. And Kate, I remember one meeting where the – exec we were talking to started like dozing during our pitch and we were so insulted and we always had those fake pitches like we always had those ideas of like i think one like gx reminds me of it because we just talked about like this the deeply dramatic raw gritty retelling of gilligan's island and we always joked about pitching that exactly yes and that was this thing and i was like as you told your story i was like oh man i wish we had done that because i would love i would just like die a little happier if I knew that one of those execs who was rude 
loved some dumb thing that we totally just farted out like that <laughs> just because it would be like, of course, of course you want to make Gilligan's yeah. Island dark yeah. and gritty. Yes, exactly. Like we're not going to do that. No one's going to do that. <laughs> like, I just, you probably actually have a chance nowadays because there's so many. Well, that's the thing. Movies. Like parody has become reality. We, we still always yeah. joke about it. We're like, oh my God, the things we joked about being the most over the top absurd thing in 2005 is now a totally real thing. Well, I don't know, like, you know, Vernon and I came, like, we really admire pranks and pranksters and all that stuff. And, and so, like, it's in our nature to be that. So I think it's got to be, you know, and as comedians, that kind of challenge and that kind of, like, individualism is in, inherently in our bones. So I don't know if it's confidence as much as it's, like, it might also be stupidity. But, like, mm. but combine those things and you get to fake pitch and you get to leave the room. You know, like we all, I, we got, there's other things we would do too. We would swear that we would have to leave some meetings with actual cash money. And so we've actually, we've won a bet. Uh, Stuart Kornfeld, who's no longer with us and who uh, is the guy responsible for Lynch meeting um, Mel Brooks. Like we bet him in a meeting, 20 bucks. And we, we left that meeting with 20 bucks. Uh, we, <laughs> what was we, the bet? He, 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 we're like, we can find any movie you want. And he named this movie about this guy, this Japanese movie with this, where this person was taking tongues off of people and made a bodysuit out of tongues. And he's like, you can't find this movie. And we like, give us two minutes. And within two minutes, we're like, oh, it's at Kim's video in New York City. You can get it. And he's like, God damn it. And so, wow. like, and then we, uh, do you know about Final Flesh, Vernon's movie? Yes. Okay. So, like, we, we sold that to Jeremy Kleiner, who's now, I, is it Jeremy Kleiner? Maybe. I, we sold it to someone at, who's now at Fox Searchlight for like 20 wow. bucks. <laughs> 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 and we're like, it, the contract's on like a napkin. And we're like, $20 will give you one movie. Or it was for all the money that was in his pocket. And it was like, oh, maybe, man. It was like 36 bucks. And he's like, really? And we're like, all the money in your pocket, we will deliver a movie to you in less than a year. And then we sent him that movie and he has, it's his story to tell that he was like, these guys, I gave them all the money in my pocket. They said they did have a movie. Everyone, they sent it. Everyone gather around. Oh my God. He realized within minutes that he, it was like a potential lawsuit to show his employees final flesh. Oh my God. But anyway, so like that kind of spirit. I don't know. It's conceptual art, right? It is Duchamp. It's Sophie Call. It's all these. Great, I love it. It's like it's you all just these great you made the living the your pitch life is life. such a nightmare, and the, the whole process of all. Yeah, it's yeah. a nightmare. So make it an art project. Those you are made my, it into something interactive and and fun and memorable. That like I'm gonna try to get like just money out of this guy's pocket or girl's pocket, or I'm just gonna like make this a funny experience. Like the fun we had was like joking in an in and around like about like. Oh, like you mentioned movie posters on the wall. Sometimes we joke about like, you're getting a very serious story note from somebody who's like in front of a poster where I, I'm not going to yeah. name the people or the yeah, movies, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're just like, oh my God, like seriously, dude. Like, But but either way, like that, that just the jokes or the humor came out of it, not your ability to make it part of it, like keep it fun and lively is, is probably really? how you survive. We would, in when we go in the conference rooms, they'd have the big whiteboard up we would just put the word fuck you really big. And then we just put like a, a big money bag, you know? And, and then we'd go sit down. They're like, oh, they're coming. And we'd have like two minutes sometimes. And we'd go sit down and we'd come in and we'd be like, like, what was the meeting before this? And they'd be like, they'd see it. And they'd be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. 
you know, and like, so it would just, it would just keep us like interested and alive. And like, you know, you're doing something that's wrote, wrote in practice, right? So like, you have to keep it alive in some way. It was a game for Vernon and I to keep the pitches from being like, we're saying the same thing over and over and over. So you do, you pull a little prank on each other. You make, you, you, you make the other person say a weird phrase within the pitch, you know, just to keep it living because God, that's so much better than what the advice like is like rehearse a script, like have a thing that you're ready. Yeah, to, like I found in all business affairs, like the script you do, you end up in this weird, like, okay, here we it's, go. It's like, I'm about to launch into my, you spiel. have to rehearse. You have to be prepared, but you got to remember free jazz. You got to be open to make noise yeah. and anarchic and you got to read the room and go like, Oh, these people don't want to hear the, the, two-hour pitch, let alone the 30-minute pitch. I'm going to give it to them in two minutes. I know micro-macro, like have, have total mastery of your song. Is it a pop song or is it just an epic album? Like you can tell, do they want to hear this or not? Are they getting bored or not? You know, and I always think, we always think shorter and more mysterious is better. You want them to actually ask you questions about your, your, your thing. You want to force them to do that because if you don't, it's a one-way street and you have to, you got to get them to engage you and the idea. And then you're, then you're, yeah. then you're starting to win. Then you're starting to actually, they own, you know, they're, they're, they're entering into it. They're like participating. Yeah. That's such a good dynamic because every time you, you're in a, that sort of dynamic, what you want is to not say, Hey, give me, I need you. I need your money. I need your interest because everybody's repulsed That's already, a everyone knows that. that. Also, yeah, yeah. Everyone knows that it's prostitution. Right. You don't really need to talk about the money at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. But the thing that's different is sort of like saying here, I'm going to offer you something. So you're automatically engaged and then you need something from me. Yeah. Then you want more yeah. from me. And as soon as they want something from you, you're right. Then you're already winning a little bit because it's like, even if all they want is to know what the rest of this weird story yep. is, you've already got yeah. them. Or like, what the hell is this idea? Then you've already, you've already stopped asking. Them you know what that also is like? It's like a movie. You, you, give, you give the audience <laughs> the first act. And if you ask the right questions or raise the right questions and they're like, wait, what's going on here? then they're automatically engaged. It's your job as the first act, right? If, if you, as long as you have people attached in the first act, as Spielberg has said, you can do whatever you want after that. And so that's a pitch. The pitch is the first act. Don't give them the, don't start with the dessert. Don't give it, make them, make them ask for it. You know? Yeah. You know? That's a very good point. That's asking questions, raising questions. That's why first acts are kind of fun. Um, third acts can be tough because you got to wind it up. Second acts can be really tough. Yeah. But like that, uh, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Like you're engaging with an audience. Yeah. How do you get them to engage with yep. you? Yeah. Very well said. Well, I, I appreciate you going over. This has been a, a lot yeah, of fun. I'm glad you enjoyed um, Huge I'm glad fan. You enjoyed I was a huge fan before. I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. There are not many. I haven't... Like a lot of people besides my circle of people haven't, haven't, you know, have seen it. I'm glad it's communicating and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm probably more nervous about this than other things I've done just because it's less overtly comedic or it's less overtly aggressive. The tension is like a seething kind of uh, rage, you know? 
I mean, I'm I like it. I'm I'm a fan of you guys, and I hope that this. Yeah, I I I'm excited for it, and I hope that the response is good. And I think it's great. It's you know because the timing is good. Like I think people will be excited to see things, and it's a different time. You know, we're we're coming out of something, and uh, maybe we'll do more to try and bring some eyeballs to it, or talk about some of your other work on our on yeah. our sort on our platforms. I'm around. At no I'm Film around School. to talk. I'm a, I'm a, an inherent teacher type of person, so I'm a. Yeah, I mean, you're like exactly the right dynamic for no film school. So I'm so glad this worked out and, I, and I'm and i excited for yeah. the movie. But thank you again. Oh, so no, no. Thanks a lot. This. Thanks so much for listening. You can see False Positive starting on June 18th this year, 2021, on Hulu, being released by A24. Thanks so much to John Lee for coming on. Very happy to have him here. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Check us out at nofilmschool.com. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Ask us questions for our weekly show, which releases every week on Tuesdays. You can send questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. And be sure to check out our gear guides. If you're looking to buy gear. We go through everything available, every possible use case, and we did it exhaustively so you could cut down on the shopping time and just find what you need. Go to the bottom of the homepage at nofilmschool.com. You'll see gear guides and you'll see all kinds of options. We'll also have a link in our show notes. Thanks so much for listening.